0: Listening to RMD Studios.
1: Welcome to the Table Podcast. My name is Linda Bottoms, and I am your host. This podcast is created by the Church Ministries Department and the RMD Studios. The Church Ministries Department is a ministry of the Rocky Mountain Ministry Network. The goal of this podcast is to provide resources, training, and networking to the ministries of the local church. We still believe the church is the hope of the world, and we are here to serve you and your volunteer leaders. So today's podcast is a bonus episode. We're going to share with you one of our recent online trainings that was conducted on church safety teams. Our guest, Chris P. Maloney, is the founder of Sheepdog Security. He is a retired Army captain and co- company commander and is currently serving as a police officer. Chris spent about an hour with us recently, and the information he shared on how to start and maintain a safety team was worth every minute. So sit back, get ready to see your church safety team in a new light. My name is Linda Bottoms. I am the Assistant Church Ministries Director for our network. And um, I am really excited about our training tonight. Um, we've had a great response for this, and I think it's very needed. And so tonight I want to introduce you. I want to get straight to our topic. Um, I was talking to him before we opened the waiting room. And he said, this is gonna be like drinking from a fire hose. So get ready, get your notebooks out, get ready to um, get a lot of information. So Chris Maloney is our um, speaker tonight. He is the author of Defending the Flock. Um, And so he's also the author of Active Shooter Response. They're about about the same information in them. Um, But he is gonna give us um, a rundown of who he is, why he's doing what he's doing. He's gonna talk to us for about 30 minutes, uh, 25, 30 minutes, and then we're gonna let you ask questions. So start writing those questions down as he's talking and um, he is going to answer those for us. So Chris, welcome, we're so glad you're here.
0: Thank you, thank you very much. All right, to give you a quick little introduction to myself, um, I spent 21 years in the army, most of that time as uh, MP. Um, I actually started enlisted and uh, turned over to the dark side and became an officer. If you're in the military, you appreciate that. Um, I spent 18 years in law enforcement. A lot of that time doing crime prevention, crime-free housing, security assessments, all that kind of stuff. A lot of specialized training. And basically, what happened to me was this: is that um, the church asked me to solve a theft problem. We had an old safe. It's had the same combination for years and years. And uh, they basically asked me, hey, we need new safes. We need new policies, procedures around this topic. And so I went ahead and did that. And of course, um, being thick-headed like I am, I didn't see it as a calling from God to do anything. So time went by. I just kind of ignored it. And uh, then they came back to me and said, hey, you did a great job with that. Now we need to have some specialized training for our Safety, you know, childcare workers, and um, and so once again did the kind of the same thing. You know, put a lot of things together, brought in some specialized trainers and all that kind of stuff. And by then, it starts sinking into me that possibly I'm being called to do something. And um, so I started my first team. And really, back then, so this 2009, as far as church safety and security was concerned, there was nothing out there. There was no books on the topic. There was nothing to find online. And so it was all kind of just generating this stuff from scratch. And as I'm putting my team together, one of the things I discover is the fact that my team, while they might have like a permit to carry or some other interest that brings them into that security safety realm, um, they really didn't have a very wide view of what it requires. And they also didn't um, truly um, understand all the smaller details that people need in order to do a good job in a safety ministry. And so we put this team together and basically everything that I've done since then, really I've done it first for my team and then share it with other people. So what I wanna talk to you really about is kind of why we need safety teams and how we can take those initial steps in getting them established. And so the first thing is this, is there's always been crime at the church. There's always been crime at the church. We're either ignoring it at times, or people aren't reporting it, or it just kind of gets swept under the rug. But if you look at crime statistics, I use the FBI crime statistics, if you look at them, you know, I've looked back probably since uh, the early 90s to now, and you'll see the crime is just there, and it kind of reflects society. And so it's, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. Crimes are occurring at the church, either the church being a victim or people within the church committing crimes. And certainly, I'm sure you've heard a lot about this, you know, abuse cases, embezzlement, theft from the church, burglaries, vandalism. I mean, now more than ever, we're hearing about vandalisms at churches, right? There's crimes out there, and we need to be prepared. We need to have some sort of mechanism in place to at least reduce the amount of crime or reduce our chance of these things happening. And so I'm just going to throw some numbers at you. Some of the things you've got to understand about FBI statistics is this, is the FBI will tell you right off the bat that, mo- that many law enforcement agencies don't report or don't, and don't have to report their crimes to the FBI. So the, the, you, they're lower, or if you will, they're higher than what I'm gonna be telling you. The other thing is this, is churches often get miscategorized as businesses, as commercial businesses. And so I'll just give you some numbers here. Crimes against persons in one year, over 2,600 cases of crimes against persons. So this is your assaults, this is homicide, um, this is you know all those violent crimes against a person, theft, those kind of things. Then crimes against property. That's nearly eighteen thousand a year, and we know this, right? This, these are vandalisms. These are your thefts. These are your property crimes. And then you have your crimes against society, with it's about fifteen hundred a year. So these crimes exist, and we have to do something about that to mitigate that. The next thing is violence towards the church. So. Carl Chen has been tracking um, what he calls deadly force incidents. And what these are is anything that could have resulted in somebody being, you know, killed, seriously injured or killed. So to give you a good example, there was a pastor in Tennessee that nearly got beat to death with a guitar from somebody on the worship team. Now, the pastor lived. So, obviously, that's not a deadly force, if you will, but it certainly could have caused it. The pastor was in the hospital a long time. Um, so, you know, so that's the deadly force. From 1999 to 2017, there were 1700, 1,700 deadly force incidents at church. Now, what's concerning about this is two things. Carlton started in 99, From 1999 to 2008, the amount of violence, if you will, at church. churches was just slowly inclining. Now, that was concerning because for the rest of the country, crimes typically of that nature have been going down, but they're going up in the church. Then at 2008 to now, that rate has just climbed and it's just skyrocketing. It's kind of doing that fishhook design that you, you know, see on graphs it's getting much, much worse. Even in the year of Sutherland Spring shooting where 26 people were killed, it was still the highest year. If you took those 26 out, it was still the the most violent year against Christians in churches. And so I don't know what's going on. I don't. And maybe some good theologians could give us a pretty good example of what's going on. But I can tell you this, is that the, the favorable status that the Christian church has had in America is fading away. You know, I think of, I'm not that old, I'm 50, but even when I was a teenager, the church was unlocked 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and it never occurred to anybody to go in there and cause any problems. Now, these days, that church would be ransacked and emptied in one night. And that's just the way it is. People do not respect and maybe it's, you know, it's community leaders, it's politicians that used to never say it, dare say anything about about the church will now easily come out and say lots of horrible things. And that kind of energizes and empowers people on the fringe to take action against Christians and against the church. So we need to be smart. We need to take reasonable steps to protect ourselves from what's happening now i'm not necessarily i'm not going to i'm neither going to support nor advocate advocate um having firearms in the church that's something that each church has to decide on but that doesn't mean there aren't about a billion different little things that we can do to mitigate crime at the church now some of the reasons that churches are so vulnerable is not only the changing culture, but the fact that we're so open to the public, right? I mean, as, as Christians, we're inviting people to the church. We want them to come in. We wanna have an open atmosphere. We want people struggling with life to come into the church. You know, They have alcoholism, domestic problems, financial problems, mental health issues, whatever it is, we want them. But at the same time, as they come in, they bring a certain amount of human risk to us, and so we have to take some some steps. So we're open to the public. We we post our hours online and on the sign at the church, right? And so people know when we're open, when they can walk in. They know that uh, there's going to be a bunch of cars, maybe some of them unlocked, that are you know are going to have things in there that they can kind of walk through. And still, um, they know when we're closed and we don't have events. They know when they can go there and they can spray paint on the side of the building or. Or you know, or break in. They know we typically have money in our churches if we're not emptying out our safe every week. They know that we have instruments and and sound equipment and computers and office supplies. I mean, we're really we're one shop stop. You know, for for all kinds of very valuable stuff that people want either for drug money or just to improve their financial situation. Um, our buildings are often unoccupied certainly they are at night and sometimes during the week once again they know that all they have to do is look up your church online and they have that information and they know when to strike and so we have to be thoughtful about this we also have to be thoughtful about the crimes that happen within the church embezzlement embezzlement is a huge crime in churches and even a small church can have Tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars just taken, you know, a little bit at a time over a long period of time. We once again, another reason we have to be prepared for this domestic spillover, addiction, alcoholism, um, child abuse, child abuse. One study showed that one in 20 men, and I hope there's nobody here with, you know, too tender of a heart here. One in 20 men is a pedophile. That means they're either currently abusing a kid or they're accessing child pornography online. And what is that? That's just mental rehearsal for committing the actual sin. Now, if you have 100 men in your church, I'm not telling you that you necessarily have five pedophiles there. I'm just telling you that those are the statistics. And so if we foolishly think that somehow we're, this is not going to happen to us, just like every other church that didn't think it was going to happen to them. And we don't take actions to stop that or at least reduce the risk. A lot of the things that I talk about, you know, nothing's 100%, right? If somebody's determined to do something, there's really no way you can stop them. But we can do things like eliminating temptation in the case of embezzlement, right? If you have uh, accountability in that system, then what you're doing is somebody who might be tempted now isn't tempted because there's that accountability. It's things like that. It's things like knowing who, I I call it intentional ministry, right? People are struggling with life and sometimes they fall through the cracks. And those people that fall through the cracks are the ones that are in danger of causing a disruption at church or becoming violent at church or even having, uh, having an active shooter event. So we need to be identifying people as a safety ministry and then setting up real programs to help those people to mitigate the risk, to reduce that risk at the church. And so I I hope I have you mostly convinced, but I do understand that there is some pushback when you talk about having security in the church. And I think some of that, some of that pushback sometimes are people that you know, either have more of a passive view, which you know, they're smart people on both sides of that argument. Um, but they they, you know, they start to accuse you of not being a Christian and not believing in God because you don't have faith that God protects us. Well, the the thing that kind of surprises me about that is God has always called his people to serve him to for to for his purposes. You know, our very pastor, you know, for the pastor stands in front, prepares a ministry, gives a sermon. Now, God could totally do that, right? We have full faith that God could do that. But instead, he uses people to do that. He gifts people in so many different ways um, to perform God's, to be the hands of feet of Christ in the world. And what you're going to find out as you start moving forward is there are people in your congregation that have the gift of being what I like to call a sheepdog. You know, they're a companion to the shepherd and a protector of the flock. They're just wired that way. Your soldiers, your cops, medics, firefighters, you know, all kinds of people and people in just different walks of life are kind of drawn to that. I want to protect my family. I want to protect my congregation. And so we need to acknowledge that that is a gifting and, 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 and let them do what God has called them to do, what it really comes down to. And the other thing is this, you know, so I, I just kind of bringing up some Bible references and I'm not a theologian in any stretch of the imagination, but right. Nehemiah, good example, there he's, you know, rebuilding Jerusalem. And what are they doing? They're rebuilding and half of the people are working half the people are, you know, are carrying swords and ready because they knew they were surrounded by enemies. If God is the same today as he was back then, then God still calls people to be protectors of His of His kingdom, of His church, of His city, of His people, and so I think there's a lot of biblical support for that. We even see in um, uh, Luke, and I'm going to have to look in a different direction here, but in Luke we see in Luke 22 verse 36. Um, then uh, it reads this way and. I don't know what version I'm reading now because I just pulled it up on the internet. Um, but anyway, then Jesus asked them, uh, when I sent you out without purse bag or sandals, did you lack anything? And they replied, not nothing. They answered. Now, however, however, he told them the one with a purse should take it likewise a bag. And the one without a sword should sell his cloak and buy one. So while we see a certain the way i look at that is this is when jesus was here yes he's telling peter to put down the sword and he, there's a certain expectation of behavior at that time but now with jesus returning to his father he's saying listen people are out there that want to destroy christians that want to destroy the kingdom of god that want to destroy what he's doing through the church on earth and so we need to acknowledge that there is a call that Christ himself tells us that there comes a time to sell your cloak and buy a sword. Um, so moving on from that, um, I'd like to get into some basic, some, just some basics of the team and starting the team and how you might organize it. The first thing you probably noticed in everything I've said, I've been talking about safety team, safety ministry. I do not use the term security other than in a very generic way. And the reason I do that is for a couple of reasons. The first one is security is a legal term in many states. It might be in your state. It might not be. Um, But next time the, the legislators meet, it could mean something. And security means of somebody typically who's licensed and trained to perform those types of duties. And so if you claim security and you're not licensed security, you could be basically you're claiming to be something you're not, number one. And number two, you could be opening up the church to uh, civil liability. So you can imagine, let's say, uh, a mother is going through a divorce and she, she comes to the church and says, do you have security? And the church says, yes, we have security, when in fact it's just volunteers. Then something bad happens and she finds out later it's just a group of volunteers. You can see how she would have a good lawsuit against the church um the other reason i don't like security the term security is that it, there's a certain image it creates for some people i've spoken to hundreds of churches and they all struggle to get a security team started because of the image of the security that word security like it's gates and barbed wire and all this other kind of stuff it's just it's just a word to avoid, and that's why I use safety ministry. Now, the responsibilities are essentially the same, um, but it doesn't have that negative connotation that, that security does. And so safety, you know, you talk about things like fire safety, fire evacuation. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Is Who would be against fire evacuation training for the children's ministry? Who would be against um, having some sort of fire response plan? They would be insane, right, because we were all programmed in grade school, middle school, that about stop, drop, and roll, and doing all our fire evacuation training in church and all that are at school, and, and so it's kind of in us. Um, safety is also medical emergencies and severe weather, and it's, you know, it's crime prevention, you know, it's things like all the way up to dealing with that disruptive person, dealing with that potentially violent person, dealing with that active shooter potentially. And so that's why I like Safety Ministries, and I think just to avoid some of that confusion that you might have, Safety Ministry might be a better name, or just come up with a completely different name. Doesn't matter. I would just avoid security. I'm going on from there. um, The next part is talking about how you might organize. If you can get this thing passed by your church board or your leadership and some buy-in from the congregation, you're probably going to want to organize this using three components the first one is a safety committee now safety committee maybe that's your elder board maybe that's your pastor's advisors or maybe it's just a group that's created from the congregation and what this group does usually made up of people that might have law enforcement background military medical child care uh, maybe legal background maybe insurance background those kind of people that can come together And start to evaluate the different things that that the church does, you know, from from the service to the special events to what's happening on with the kids. And their job is essentially to write policies to identify those risks and figure out ways to mitigate those risks through writing policies. So that's that one level. That's that leadership level. The next below that, you have the safety director. Now, this is your... This is your main person that's running this ministry. It's the ministry director. And their responsibility is to be a liaison between, that, between the committee and through the team members. Now, they're probably part of the team. You know, they're out there patrolling. They're part of doing all that stuff. But they're basically the one that is in charge. And their job is to make those policies happen. To enforce those policies, or maybe a better term, to educate others about those policies so that they're being followed and there's some sort of accountability. As a former soldier, um, one of the sayings is, "People don't do what you expect; they do what you inspect." And so that's the safety director. They're inspecting. They're making sure things sure making sure that things are happening that the way they're supposed to happen. And then below that safety director, you have your safety team. And that's where the rubber meets the road. These are the people that, you're going to, um, that are basically going to be patrolling the church during events, during um, you know, Sunday service, and all that good stuff, watching and paying attention. And they're, like I said, they're where the rubber meets the road. They're the ones that you're going to be investing in as far as um, you know, equipment and training and those types of things now when you get started so if you decide to organize that way and other churches do different ways um you have to find what works for you you know i can tell you a lot about what other churches have done but if you're a church of 20 people on sunday that's probably your your safety ministry is probably going to look a lot different than the church that has you know a thousand people come through the door on any given day and so you have to figure that out but but this, this recipe, the way I just explained it, works best for a lot of different churches. Um, so once you get that in place and you have those people and you start having those conversations, the next step is launching your first program. Now, I can tell you from experience and from talking to others, if you walk in there on day one and say, hey, Sutherland Springs, White Settlement, and you start naming off all these active shooter events and you say, hey, we have to have this, you know, gun—you know, all the guns and, and people trained on the team. If you go in there and that's the first project you want to get in place, I can almost guarantee it will fail. I, it's failed so many times and so many people have called me just expressing their lament over, hey, I'm trying to get this thing going and I just couldn't get it going. And it's because there's so much pushback When you talk about violence, people are very afraid. They're very afraid about these things. And this and that and that fear, that very real fear, triggers them. Now you could try to go in there and tell them all the stats and you know, mention how the violence is going up in the church and all that kind of stuff. The thing is, is this is you can't use fear to argue people out of their fear. And so what I actually recommend you do is starting a program that's easy people to accept. Easy to buy into. And so this is where I talk about fire evacuation. You know, just starting a fire emergency fire response plan of, you know, possibly putting out small fires, doing inspections to ensure that our chances of fire occurring is actually pretty low. Um, Practicing fire drills with, with the kids, if nothing else is a really good way to kind of introduce the idea of safety ministry to the rest of the congregation. And they can kind of, they start to warm up to you. I can tell you, parents are going to love it when you're, when they, you know, when when you have those kids marching out in, in a straight little line, going out to an assembly area, they love it. It shows that you care about the kids and you're thinking about them. Other programs that you can launch kind of simultaneously or, as, you know, maybe it's just one step at a time. Emergency medical response. You know, bringing somebody in from the Red Cross or the American Heart Association and getting certified and having some people certified for those kind of medical emergencies is extremely important, along with running some drills. You know, what do we do if somebody has a heart attack in the congregation? You know, guy one runs in there and starts, you know, giving CPR. Guy two grabs a med bag, goes in there and, you know, helps... Third person calls 911 and meets the ambulance at the door. You know, whatever, whatever it is, these are is things that we need to do. I, I don't know about your personal experience, but we've had a guy with a heart attack, but we put the AED on him. He lived. Um, we probably didn't save him. It probably just worked out that way. But anyway, we did our job, if nothing else. We have a guy that doesn't manage his... Uh, his diabetes, and we've called the ambulance and given him sugar probably three, four times now. You know, people have medical conditions. We've had mental illness issues um, with a gentleman that um, he was having an episode and wanted to give us a Christmas uh, message in June, Um, so (laughs) tried to take over the stage. So we've had these kind of things occur, and these things are occurring, but anyway, The point is, is start small, do those medical response, maybe severe weather. You certainly get into things like verbal de-escalation type training. So people that have to deal with the public, you know, maybe it's your ushers, your person at the welcome desk, your safety team, you know, that are learning to talk people down. Um, And then just kind of building up on, on all these kind of things and working towards that maybe what your top concern is, is that violent intruder, that active shooter. Um, I mentioned before that I'm not, necessar- not going to either be pro or anti-gun here. If you want to know my personal opinion, I can tell you that. But there, even in the case of active shooter, there's a lot of things that you can do short of having armed people. And this is just minimum stuff here. Having a lockdown procedure for, for the building. This is, I mean, the public schools have been doing this for a decade. It's really us older people that we just go, oh my goodness, having a lockdown drill at the church, that's insane. But it's only because we're older. Our kids, that's not going to bother them at all. They're doing it in school right now. And if the, if the government, the public school is doing something, um... We should, at the church, we should at least be taking it at the next level above, right? We should at least be doing better than the government. I mean, if we have to be told by the government to do something, I think we're in deep trouble. We have to be better than that. Are we going to wait for the government to tell us that we have mandatory reporting? You know, if kids being abused at home or outside the church? Right now, in some states, most states... That volunteer that works with the kids has no legal responsibility to report that. Um, but is that what we want? Do we wanna sit on, allow a child to continue to be abused because we don't wanna report it? You know, anyway, I'm probably going off on a little tangent here, but start small and start building, building up. And, um, and that's really the way to success all the churches that I've spoken to, like I said, hundreds of churches around the nation, when they start small, it takes longer than you like. I'll tell you that right now. It takes, it'll take you two years at least to get your ministry to where you want it to be. But um, but start, get it started. The sooner you get started, the sooner you get done and just realize that people need the time. People need, um, you need to move slow sometimes. One of the things we did, we started slow with my congregation, but in the meantime, the safety team were having a different types of discussions and different types of training. Now, the church wasn't ready for it, but we were still um, doing the best we could within, within our pastor's expectations um, to not you know step over any lines. But you can still kind of do these things. I just, like I said, I wouldn't walk in there on day one and say active shooters. So that's basically what I have for you. I'm more than happy to take any questions.
1: Okay, so if you have question uh questions for Chris, we want to answer those questions. If you don't, I have some. Um, But you'll need to unmute your microphone so that we can hear you. So just go ahead and do that. We'll try to do this in an orderly fashion um, and see if we have any questions.
2: Ron, did you have a question? He unmuted, but it could be having a hard time connecting.
1: Okay, if you can't connect and you want to just type your questions in the chat pane, maybe you don't want to do all that or be seen. You can just type your questions. But I'm going to ask a couple of questions while we're waiting on that. Um, Let's... uh, How do you, how are we supposed to know? So we have churches, everything's going on, you know, we're in a groove all the time and you have visitors come in all of the time, you know? And so how do you know, how can you tell when there's something off and when it's just a visitor? How are we supposed to know that before anything escalates out of
0: control? Yeah, so it's it's really getting used to watching um, body language and the way people respond. Now I can give you a, a few ideas as an example. Um, sometimes visitors come in and um, they're lost, and obviously you can tell that they're lost just by the way they're staring around, looking around, and that's that's okay. This is good, right? We go up to them, ask them if we can help them. You know, welcome them to the church, and we can send them on their way if they're if, if it turns out they're more evasive, like you go to approach them, they start walking away, um, then now, hey, maybe I need to pay a little bit more attention. There's other things, too, and there's a lot of them you've probably heard before. You know, they're wearing, you know, a big winter jacket, and it's August and 90 degrees out. You know, that's clearly a sign that that's not right, a trench coat, or maybe they're diverting their eyes. They don't want to look at anybody. Um, you know, the... You know, it could be profuse sweating. It could be fidgeting. It could be um, if if they're if people that carry weapons. Well, I often do a weapon check, and so they keep on touching where they have their weapon. They keep on touching the weapon over their clothes. So that's kind of a, a little bit of an indicator. And then, of course, if you see anything suspicious, the idea is is you. The best way to approach them is in a two man team, we call it contact and cover. Contact is the person that is talking to them. And then cover is usually stepping back, kind of watching over the the, the, the entire scene and is there for backup if something goes bad. But as you engage these people in normal conversation, it's gonna come out pretty fast. If they're agitated, if they're mad, if they're building up to become violent, if they're up to no good maybe they're there to stalk out the kids area or or trying to abduct their kid from their strange spouse you're going to right away from that contact and that little conversation you're going to know there's something more here and then you're kind of your your level of awareness kind of ratchets up a little bit and how you deal with that is completely up to you but generally um if they're non-violent you're talking them out the door Um, If they refuse to leave or they're potentially violent, you know, you're calling police because it's always going to be better for the police to drag them out by their ankles than for you to drag them out.
1: And wind up on the news. (laughs) Exactly. That's right. Good. That's a good answer. Um, So Ron Bledsoe, uh, he said uh, that you mentioned procedures to follow that are written by some churches already. Is there a chance of getting copies of some of those to start with?
0: Um, I have some basic, like, horrible drafts on some things that might push you in the right direction. But ultimately, the reason procedures need to, well, let's talk about policies first. So the, the committee's writing policies. Well, the thing is, is policies generally need to go through an attorney. And there's a lot of discussion that needs to occur. I mean, if you're writing policies for the child care section, You're gonna need people that know about that, plus people that work in that childcare section to write those policies and figuring out what's gonna be the best thing for your church. Once again, there can be a big difference between a small church and a big church, and even just culturally, things are different among churches. So that's policies. I would never give you a policy just because, um, because there's so many legal entanglements in that, you need an attorney, end of story there. Now, as far as procedures are concerned, procedures are generally written by the safety director. And procedures are are an example of what I just gave you. You have a medical emergency in the children's section. First person starts, you know, doing CPR or whatever, providing aid. The other person grabs a bag. um, And then somebody else calls 911 and greets the ambulance. That's a procedure. And those are oftentimes directly affected by your church layout. Like, I don't know if you're in three buildings, one building, is a two levels, three levels? And so procedures are really location-specific. And so, like I said, I could give you some really bad stuff that'll push you in the right direction. But um, from there, it's really, it's really about you doing the hard work. And it's important work because if you're going to be um, – Practicing these things, training these things, you need to be the expert in it. And you really become the expert by writing the policies and writing the procedures, if that makes sense.
1: So, is that something that you can email me and then I can get it out to the group?
0: Yeah, if they, if they all fully acknowledge these are just horrible.
1: Just horrible. They're horrible.
0: They're just, it's better than a blank piece of paper.
1: <laughs> That's right. Acknowledge they're horrible. I'm going to send them to you and say, these are those horrible. Okay, so another question that is in the chat is when most with right now with COVID, most people are wearing masks. Um, Are there things that we need to do different or be looking for differently?
0: Um, No, not necessarily. I've been asked this question a few times. Obviously, if you have a smaller church, you're probably still spotting the newcomers if they're wearing a mask or not. They probably are already sticking out to you. and. Um, as far as somebody coming in wearing a mask and using that as an opportunity to commit crime, um, yes, it makes it a little bit easier for them to do something you know grab a grab a cell phone off a table and run out the door um, and maybe they don't get caught because they have the mask um I just don't i don't in my personal opinion, the threat level uh, doesn't doesn't require us to do anything more than just paying attention. I mean, there's other body language. There's other things you can look for to make you feel suspicious about somebody. Um, You don't necessarily need to see their face. And if you think that they are suspicious, once again, you're walking up to them. You're engaging them in friendly conversation, and you're going to detect, you know, you're going to get that creeper vibe, if you will, that might be there for something else, some up to no good.
1: All right. Does anyone else have any questions before I go on?
2: Okay, so let's
1: talk about the best way to promote this to the church. Uh, How do we promote the church safety team, I mean, to the church? How can we say, hey, we want you to be a part? What are some ways to highlight them and celebrate them before we need them um, in a critical situation?
0: Well, I I would, like I said, kind of starting very slow with them. I would say, hey, we're going to put together a safety ministry, and their job is to start identifying some of the risks that we might have here in and around the church. And one of the first programs we're going to work on is fire evacuation for the kids. And just leave and just leave it at that. Just saying, we're going to start. We're just going to start this one thing. We're looking at emergency medical response, getting some people trained, and maybe put together some medical gear for special situations. Um, you know, from there, maybe um, you know, depend- if you're in Tornado Alley, maybe you're talking about severe weather and tornado drills. You know, whatever you face on a regular basis. If you're Colorado, I don't know, snowstorms. I'm guessing is a thing right? You know, what are, what is our policies and procedures? Um, if a snowstorm, a blizzard hits us and we didn't cancel church and we have all these people here and now what do we do? You know, we got other people here and no way to get them home, you know? So putting together some of these things, or maybe you can't, you know, whatever. And just starting on those things. Um, like I said, I, I would avoid talking about active shooters and even violent intruders with every fiber of my being, I would avoid that. Absolutely. If I could get away. Now, if I get asked, I'm going to say, yes, we're, we are considering that, but we haven't made any decisions. And that might be the truth. If you really are just starting out, you know, you might just be having those other conversations with people on the teams behind the curtain, if you will. And that's not policy and that's not procedure that's discussions. Right. So, um,
2: there was another one I had, and this
1: is how I do things. So, how often should we train? So, let's say we have a team. There's that church that they've got the team put together, they're working like a weld oil machine. Um, how often should they do training?
0: So, more actually, training is probably a greater commitment than actually working. And that's one of the things you have to tell your team members. Early on, you want to be part of the safety team, not only are you going to go through an interview process, we're going to check your references, we're going to do a background check on you, but you also mentally have to be prepared for a lot of training. If you think, if you just think about the drills you would want, now I'm going to talk about an armed team. But let's say you have an armed team. Well, they need to do annual qualification. That's one Saturday. They need to do a tactical shoot. That's another Saturday. Then they have to do um, unarmed self-defense and maybe a less lethal weapon like pepper spray. That's another Saturday. They need first aid CPR certification through like the American Red Cross. That's another Saturday. Um, and you <laughs> can see how it just, just continues. And then, you know, maybe you're doing practicing fire drills. That's another Saturday. I mean, it just adds up and up. Um, and so... They need to be prepared for a lot of training. One of the things that we offer is an online training, but that's that's the foundational part. That still doesn't take care of those um, those other training components. Now, if you're training, you're on your own. You're just going to train in each of these topics like child protection, severe weather, fire um, safety team fundamentals, um, you know, active shooter response, verbal de escalation. Those can all very easily be an hour, two hours. The first time I trained my team very, very first time, so this was like two thousand ten, we took an entire Saturday and I just threw it all at them. I would never do that again. It's a good way to launch the team, um, uh, but it's it's too much, too fast, and the, the retention's not there. I might split it between two Saturdays to get that classroom time put in place, and then you're basically training. You know, maybe every month when you first start to get people really spun up and trained well, you're probably going to be training every month. Um, and then after that, maybe you slow down just a little bit because you, you have confidence in your team that they know what they're doing and, and all that kind of stuff. I still, I train my team every quarter. It's an entire Saturday, but they, I, they all have the foundation. And so... All I have to do is run them through force on force, shoot and don't shoot, um, first aid, CPR, mass trauma, you know, and walking through certain drills. Um, anytime we do a drill at the church for like evacuation, fire evacuation, the team gets together and we walk through it ourselves. And so that way, on the day of the event, right, and we have the staff and the kids there. It goes smoothly because nothing's worse than that, not going well. I mean, we do it to learn, but um, still we don't want it to look too bad.
1: Well, this has been really good. If, does anyone else
2: have any questions?
1: Anything you want to talk about? So um, before we go, we've got a couple of things. I would love to get a picture of our group and most of you have your camera off. So in order, for me to be able to prove you that I had a good group come. Could everybody turn on their camera? You don't want to, we'll just do, there's Arlita. Good job, Arlita. (laughs) Turn on your camera. We're gonna get a big screenshot of you. Um, We want everybody to see your face. This helps me be able to relate with you better and be able to answer questions um, later on. Okay. So I'm going to take a screenshot real quick. And then it looks
2: like we have another question that came in and then we always want to, well, okay, here we go. Ready? And look, you get to smile. This never happens. Okay. <laughs> we'll get your Kurt, get your glasses. There you go. You ready? Good job. You can turn your
1: cameras off now if you want. Okay.
0: We always try to catch Linda in, in the worst possible spot when we do a screenshot. That's always the goal. Sorry. So, Linda, I love that you've made everybody smile. That was perfect. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. Not a problem. Okay, looks like we have a question. Um, How often do you involve the entire church body? I assume um, Chris means in the training or that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, so... Yeah. A good example would be like the fire um, evacuation training. Now, if if you're lucky enough to get this done, um, you know, doing it in October, fire month is a good time. The kids are doing fire drills at, at school, so it's pretty comfortable for them to do it at church as well. Um, and so that would be one church-wide event. One of the things we do to kind of spice it up is we have... We always have like bouncy houses and a hot dog and casseroles and all that kind of stuff. You know, we kind of feed them and it kind of turns into a church picnic. And so what we'll do is we invite the fire trucks and the pastor will announce us, we never do surprise drills, is the pastor announce, hey, this Sunday is the picnic and fire drill. And then after the last prayer, he says, okay, we're doing the fire drill now. So follow the directions of the ushers and we do that once a year um, and nothing more. And some of those years we don't get to do that. And we just do the kids and that's done once a year in October, because that's kind of the beginning of the year. Um, it's easier to get the kids ministries involved, or at least that's been my experience. So they almost like it when we say, Hey, we're going to practice, you know, a tornado drill. And they're like, yay, you know, (laughs) we're just having fun. They get to go out in the hall and put their heads between their legs. You know, I mean, it's, it's that's pretty easy but as far as the whole church it's about that one time a year now that doesn't mean that you couldn't have more i just found that at least for my for me it's almost impossible to get buy-in from the pastor and the board and all that kind of stuff to have something that can be quite disruptive one of the things we'll do is when we do drills with the kids we'll hand something out we'll make a flyer and we hand it out to the parents today your kids are going through a fire drill today your kids are going to do a lockdown drill today your kids are going to do that and part of that flyer includes what their responsibilities would be if during an actual event and that's really the best i've ever been able to get for training if you will the
2: congregation yeah i think that would be fun but i think your sermon would have to be really short because getting yes. all the adults out and back in, um, it could be quite a lot of fun. So.
1: Okay, so I think, Chris, that you had a, uh, we're going to talk about your book in just a minute. He has a book that you can go and you can read most of the stuff. This is what the book looks like uh, right here. And um, you can find that on Amazon. And I think that he had something that he wanted to um, share with us about that.
0: Yeah so one of the things um this book is actually was produced um using the exact same training materials that we have available for you guys and I'm going to get, kind of give you a, a special deal. I just want to explain what it is though is this is basically what we've done is we built an online school. And so basically you can watch streaming videos and and um and take a little quiz and to get the You know get the training done but what i'm offering you is actually not only includes those streaming videos but it actually includes also the um the power the powerpoint presentation the instructor's guide the director's manual basically all the materials that were used to make the online courses and this can be a really good tool for you depending For one, you know, if you like teaching by streaming video, you can just play each video segment and then, you know, and then talk about it and then move on to the next. Kind of an easy way if you're a little afraid to teach. If you're not afraid to teach, you can use the PowerPoint and the instructor guide and you can teach it yourself. The reason I like that and the reason we have the materials the way that they are is that you can ultimately customize them. So... I can tell you a lot about the basics and that that help you establish that firm foundation. But as you go on, as you, as you develop your team and your policies and procedures, you're going to want that customization. So it fits your church's unique size and setting. And so it's called the complete church security training system. And it's uh, normally 497. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to send um, Linda an email with a special code to give you guys a 50% off on that. And so if you're interested in that, um, either send e- Linda an email or she'll send you an email and there'll be a special code. And so when you're checking out, it'll have a link. And, and when you're checking out, just make sure you use that code and save a little bit of money. And kind of the reason I'm doing that is I'm, I'm really kind of hoping that, you know, you've taken some of this safety ministry to heart. And you want to start building that, that foundation. And that's what this is all about. Get that foundation in place. Now, there's still a lot more training, right? You're still going to be practicing and running drills and all that kind of stuff. But at least at least this basic stuff will be the fundamentals will be out of the way and people will know them and understand them. So, Linda, I'll send you an email.
1: Okay, do that. And so if you want that, this is what we're going to do. So I make sure I don't miss anyone. There is at the bottom of your screen or somewhere if you're on an iPad or so phone a chat button. And so if you'll just go in that chat button and just put your email address, write your email address down, then I'm going to email you directly that because this coupon code is only for those people who have attended this training. This training will be recorded. It's going to be out in um, out in there. And so we don't want everyone to be able to use that, but because you did that, if for some reason you cannot figure out the chat, you can email me at L, nope, let's do it this way. You can email me at linda at rmdc.org. Okay. And then um, I can get that to you, but if you'll put that in there, then we can make sure you get that coupon code. That is a great deal. Um, I think for me, I would much rather him just teach that to my people. <laughs> i hear chris start talking It'd be much easier well chris thank you so much if no one else has any questions if nothing else is uh and you're like you know i just am ready to get his material and get started then we're just going to thank you so much for um attending our online training tonight we do these especially church resources we did one about hospitality earlier in the year church hospitality we do these regularly and um, whenever we do another church security thing, we'll be sure and email you and let you know what's going on. Um, We just want to make sure our churches are resourced um, efficiently and that they've got the best quality that we can give to you. Hey, thanks for being willing to join us around the table today. Feel free to share this link on social media and help spread the word. It will help us tremendously. For more resources just like this one, subscribe to this podcast Or you can also go to rmdc.org under the Church Ministries tab for plenty of podcasts and resources to help you grow. Thanks for listening.